Today's episode is brought to you by Belvedere. Produced in one of the world's longest-running distilleries, Belvedere Vodka is the world's finest all-natural vodka. Crafted by a collective of master distillers, Belvedere is made with non-GMO Polish rye, pure water, and no additives. Recognized for quality and their Polish rye, Belvedere was named the ISC World Vodka Producer of the Year in 2015, 2016, and 2017 World Champs. Enjoy a delicious cocktail with Belvedere Vodka today, and remember to always drink responsibly. We're also brought to you by Mattress Firm. Connecting sleep to sports isn't easy, but here goes. Mattress Firm is America's neighborhood mattress store, and it should be your goal to check out the deals they have going on every day. Their mattresses are softer than your rival team's defense. They get a 10 out of tennis. You'll love your new bed. Okay, all terrible dad jokes aside, head to mattressfirm.com slash podcast and stretch your budget further than a gymnast before a floor routine. Welcome to the JJ Reddick Podcast, where I interview some of the biggest names in sports and culture, as well as give you an inside look at life in the NBA. Today we have Olympic gold medalist, 10-time NBA All-Star, three-point legend, two-time NBA champion, and most importantly, co-star alongside Denzel Washington of the 1998 Spike Lee film, He Got Game, Ray Allen. If I stay on the three-point line, Manu stays right there with me. But the fact that I go in, he goes in. So it's a scramble then because you're like, just get the ball. So for us, the constant movement gets us to where we need to be and, and what allows us to do our job. It's like anything else. Movement is life. So that's been my philosophy around uh, playing the game of basketball is continue to move. We talked about routines, the mentality of a shooter, and he got game. That's up after a few words. Hope you enjoy. Welcome back to this week's episode of the JJ Reddick podcast. A few things I want to talk about before we get to Ray. Uh, Number one, on a recent episode with Jason Sudeikis, we talked about getting gift. And I had my gift moment. Jamal Murray on a breakaway dunked on me chest to chest. It was very embarrassing. And like I told Jason... Uh, On the podcast, my very first thought was, that's going to be on House of Highlights. And sure enough, after the game on the main Instagram account, uh, it was on House of Highlights. So thank you for that. More importantly, Markel Fultz was back. What what an amazing infusion of of energy that he gave our team uh, and the city of Philadelphia. Um, It was just an incredible atmosphere last night uh, in our game against Denver. And what an awesome moment for him. The kid has worked unbelievably hard to get back on the court. I definitely feel like he deserved to have a special night like last night and believe that he's going to help us a ton down the stretch. We are playing some great basketball. You know, when the season first started, we were talking about trying to squeeze out maybe 40 wins, maybe 41 wins, maybe 42 wins and and try to lock up an eighth seed. And and then, you know, we, we hit a little winning streak. We went from 25 and 25 to 32 and 25. Now we've hit another winning streak. And now we're talking about home court advantage, 
Joel Embiid is telling the media we're going after 50 wins. Uh, so this has all sort of happened really quick, uh, even internally with our front office and coaching staff. I don't think anybody sort of expected us to be in a position with nine games to go and a favorable schedule that, that we kind of control our own destiny to lock up uh, home court in the Eastern Conference playoffs. It's crazy to say that, uh, but we're all sort of well aware of that and the significance of that, not only for the organization, but for the city of Philadelphia. And, you know, hopefully we can we can finish this stretch of nine games strong and and lock up home court. Because I know that, that having home court advantage in the playoffs, especially, you know, obviously in the first round, uh, would be a huge for us. Uh, given our home crowd uh, in Philadelphia, it's been just an amazing place to play. I think we're 18 and one over our last 19 games at the Wells Fargo Center. So just just really excited about that. All right, and uh, I'm joined by one of my favorite players of all time, Ray Allen. Ray, along with Reggie Miller, and of course everybody in my generation's favorite player, Michael Jordan, were my three favorite players growing up, and. I got the chance to to play against one of my heroes uh, early in my career and uh, actually guarded Ray for an entire playoff series in both 2009 and 2010, which was very, very challenging. Ray was in the middle of doing a bunch of promos for his new book, and that comes out on March 27th. And Ray was kind enough to give us a few of his minutes. Uh, and we're going to get to my conversation with Ray Allen. I should also mention that I'm not a big memorabilia fan. I remember my junior year of college, I went out for the Wooden Award and you know all the nominees uh, during the, the dinner the night before the award was announced, got to meet Coach Wooden and I was absolutely thrilled to meet him. Everybody was getting this like gold basketball signed and I just had no desire to get it signed because I was like, it's just going to end up in a garage somewhere. Like things, you know, memorabilia, it's just not that important to me. So I didn't get it signed, but, you know, was obviously thrilled to meet John Wooden. So I'm not a memorabilia guy. I own one piece of memorabilia and it was my rookie year, first, very first time that my team played against uh, Ray Allen. He was on the Supersonics at the time. And I went up to him at halftime. I was like, hey, man, can I get your shoes? And can you sign them after the game? And he said, yes. And I still have those shoes today. It's literally the only piece of memorabilia that I own. Uh, so this was uh, just a special moment for me to have Ray on the show. I uh, hope you enjoy the conversation. Let's get to Ray. Ray, thank you so much for uh, joining me on uh, on my podcast. I know I tried to get you a couple years ago, but we we couldn't coordinate. And I know you're you're in New York hustling between uh, promo interviews for your new book. So I appreciate you taking the time. Yes, uh, certainly a pleasure to talk to you. Hustling is <laughs> it, it, what I did today and yesterday is I, I need to find a better word because you know today the city was crunk like I've never seen it, and trying to get from one place to another was was hell on wheels. It's New York. How many how many promo interviews have you done now in the last two days? I don't, I don't even, I can't even a dozen, count. Five, yeah. um, 20? <laughs> I would say right now we're probably at about 15 or 16. And tomorrow is going to be a lot more. Uh, but it's, it's actually to talk about, uh, I haven't done a lot of media in the last couple of years, but to be able to come in and, you know, talk about basketball, talk about life, uh, talk about so many things. I had a, a pretty interesting interview earlier today about Boston. Uh, so it was pretty funny. Uh, 
it's amazing, and you know this firsthand, how serious people take, you know, they take it real personal. And um, we definitely, I have to always, like, I say, listen, you know, I'm— I love everything about everything I've done and people I've been connected to. Like, I don't have any ill will towards anybody because, you know, we play, we, we're fortunate to be able to play a game for a living. You know, you can't take it so personal. When you were, uh, when you were uh, an active player, did you, did you know that you were going to end up writing a book? Or is this something that came about in the last couple of years? I had this no. ongoing joke, by the way. Uh-huh. Anytime any, any crazy thing happens in the NBA, I'll be like, yeah, it's, that's going in the book. You know, that's going in the book. Like I, I play with Glenn, Glenn Davis. Mm-hmm. You know, I play with book. Dwight Howard. Yeah, it's going in the book. You know, and uh, and I'm, keep, I'm keeping, I guess, a mental log of of all the things that happened. When you set out to write this book, though, uh, what were some of the maybe unforeseen challenges that that you had? Well, you know, for you, what you definitely should do is start writing stuff down. You know, that's the one thing I would have done. You know, this whole process, like I, I never thought I would write. A book as a kid, but as you get older, you start realizing all the, the things that you do in your life, like the places you get to go, the people you get to be around. You're like, you. A lot of times, you, I feel bad because I can't take these people with me. You know, you know, all the people in my life that I love and I cherish, and my friends, people, everybody. And you know, somebody told me a long time ago, when you do something, take people with you. So now, a book is an opportunity to take people on your journey and 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 show them, like you just don't start as an NBA player. You know, people think that you've been in the NBA your whole life. You know, you're 12 years old as an NBA player. So to show them, you know, the the genesis of, you, you know, your character, of your career, your family, you know, what made you who you are to get to where you, you, you ultimately um, have gone, it's important that kids know that we all have come from somewhere that wasn't, you know, making a lot of money or, being around famous people, you know, you work towards that. So la- last week, um, in the uh, in the New York Times, Scott uh, Cacciola did a uh, a little profile of me mm-hmm. um, about um, his words, not mine. My my meticulous routine, and it's something that I've developed over the course of my career. And uh, I have to, this is to sound weird, but I have to give you credit. I know we never were teammates, but I have to give you credit for sort of helping me uh, develop that routine. Um, I I think it was probably sometime during my third year, which was my worst shooting year. And, you know, you have a slump, you you go in and get more shots, you Mm -hmm. have a good shooting game, you maybe skip a day of extra shots. And then I heard something that you said about, you know, your routine should never change, whether you're shooting the ball great or you're in a slump. Um, you You can never blame or give credit to anything because the routine is the same. Um, and then as I'm doing some research on this, uh, before, I, before I got you on my pod, I came across uh, a Jackie McCollum piece that she wrote uh, back in 2008 when you were with the Celtics. And, um, and you mentioned sort of this, this OCD. Uh, I told Scott in the article for the Times, I said, you know, I feel like I have OCD tendencies. Mm-hmm. Um, and as much as uh, sort of the the... The preparation um, has like a, a positive effect on your shooting ability. I think mentally, there's 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 more to it for me in terms of why I I have this routine that I have. Um, for you, was it uh, because you wanted to work hard, or is it more that mental sort of OCD side? Like if I don't complete this, or if I don't do this, it's going to eat away at me. 
There were so many different things. Yeah. You know, for one, you know, just for what you feel, you know, and, and you, you pay homage to me and what you learned from me, even not having played together. I did the same thing. You know, I, I would go on the floor early and I'd see Reggie out there on the floor and he'd always had a Superman <laughs> shirt on, uh, yeah. on the court. Um, I played with Dale Curry. I played with Dale Ellis. Uh, those guys I watched and I paid attention. They're like, wow, they do the same thing every single time. I played with Ricky Pierce, some of the league's greatest uh, shooters. So it, it really is, it's a itch. You know, you at nighttime, you sit here and you obsess over. I'll watch a college game or another NBA game. I'm like, wow, how did he make that shot? Man, he stepped up and made big free throws. And I was like, what if I missed the free throws? And all of a sudden now I'm over here in my head like, yo, what if I miss the free throws tomorrow? You know, I get put on the line. <laughs> let alone forget about if you're playing in the playoffs. Yeah. You don't want to be the reason that your team loses the game because you miss free throws down the stretch because we're the guys that shoot the techs. And they count on us to step up and shoot the text. I was like, I'm going to the, the court immediately. 10 o'clock at night, I'm going to the gym. First thing in the morning, I'm like, you know, my wife, you got to drop the kids off. I need to go there, get there early. So it never seemed like work to me. It just always seemed like perfection, you know, trying to figure out how to, to perfect my craft and to just be prepared. Um, there's a book I read called The Art of Racing in the Rain. And what I learned about race car, this particular race car driver, he was the best because when it rained outside, he he didn't wait to see what his car would do in case he skid. He would push the skid. So he knew he could always already correct. So what I started learning is you prepare for every single thing that can happen. So when it happens, you don't have to say, oh, shit. Yeah. It just happened. You just kind of are ready for it. So you see, here it comes. Now I could be, as a second uh, develops, you're on top of that second with a correction. And so that's why we prepare and obsess over the way we do. I think there's an underlying level of anxiety, though, Yeah, that I have to... Uh, and and look, look, a lot of people have anxiety. I'm not saying that, but specifically with shooting, um, there's an underlying level of anxiety that I have to live with on a daily basis. Um, during the season... For example, we played Denver, mm. and um, I, I shot the ball well, but I, I missed a free throw. Yeah, and uh, and had ended up with nineteen in. points. Had I made that free throw, I would have had twenty. Right, yeah. which you know, it's there's a difference. Twenty, yeah, there's a difference. And Dale. I spent about three and a half hours last night obsessing over it. But that's just sort of the daily struggle where you're obsessing. Or you mentioned, God, you mentioned watching a game. I even go back to my my childhood. You know, you'd watch a game, and you're like, oh, I got to go out and work out that work on that. So at night now I'm, I'm watching an NBA game and I'm, I'm planning my workout for the next day. It's, mm. it's a constant 24 hour thing. Yeah. And when you retire or when the <laughs> summer comes, you definitely can let go of it. You know, that, that, you know, it, it certainly is. And I would say as shooters, as you and I, yeah. um, we have probably the most difficult job because we don't, we don't, we're not given any liberties when it comes to when you get in the game, you might be standing at the three-point line and they're like, shoot. Yeah. You know, it's not like you're going to get an opportunity to get to the, the free throw line or you're not, you haven't been dribbling the ball the last two or three possessions. You're just moving off screens or in transition and the game happens fast. And if you miss that one shot early, like, oh, he's off today. <laughs> and it's like, it, it, I'm like, damn, I didn't even get an opportunity right. to get a layup or to fill the ball before all of a sudden you've determined 
how I'm feeling for this particular game. And and I know the difference because when I played in Seattle, I had the ball in my hand early. Yeah. So yeah. I took a early shot, you know, to a barometer. Um, I had the ball so much. So free throws were so much easier when you feel that leather in your hand yeah. and you go to the free throw line, you're like, you know, this is money in the fourth quarter especially. Imagine not touching the ball for two or three minutes at the end of the game and all of a sudden – Foul, give the ball to Allen. You know, he's going to make our free throws. I'm like, here I go again. You know, in the NBA, you you kind of get put in these boxes. And so there's like the ball dominant players and then the guys Mm -hmm. that play off the ball. Um, I I want to, I'm going to ask you about that transition that you had to make when you went to Boston. But you mentioned retirement. And I'm curious if that routine, that maniacal approach to your daily life, because I know when you were a player, it was like, I wake up and I eat this, and then I go to take my nap at this time, and I eat this when I wake up. Uh, is there anything that has sort of filled that void, or you ha- have you been able to sort of let go of that that OCD? Well, the let go is interesting because when you say let go, yeah, you start to mirror this let go idea. People look at you and say, "Oh, oh retirement's been good to you," so you start <laughs> gaining weight because you don't have somebody yeah. holding that hammer over you. There's a time scheduled bus, plane. There's always something. So what I've tried to do is to try to keep that same, you know, regiment, you know, when it comes to working out, you know, I keep my my runs regular, um, you know, travel, always carry workout gear with me. Um, And and I most certainly pay attention to what I eat on a regular basis. Um, It's one thing for us to do it for our job and for the organizations. But, you know, now we, we owe it to ourselves because our bodies are, our commodities and what ultimately happens when you get when you retire you got to keep yourself healthy you know we we have strong hearts but your heart could let you down if you don't you know continue to take care of it so it is you know you just can't let go you know you have to find ways to restructure your challenge you know whatever that may be um if it's business but there's some way you have to compete like i golf i play with a lot of retired players down in florida and uh, football, basketball, baseball. Like, you know, obviously people go down there and retire. You know, a lot of places down there for you when you're ready to come on down. <laughs> but, you know, you live in a gym now. Yeah. But when you're done, you want to be somewhere where you can be outside and just enjoy the fruits of your labor. Hold that thought. We'll have more with Ray after this quick break. We have exciting news for all you ringer heads out there. I didn't, I didn't know that ringer heads was a thing. Is that like ringer groupies? Apparently the ringer has groupies. Apparently Bill Simmons has, well, I knew that, that Bill Simmons had groupies. Uh, the ringer has new merchandise with a shiny new storefront that you can check out right now. We have hats, hoodies, and even an exclusive Shea Serrano disrespectful dunk t-shirt. Your friends will be low-key jealous when they see you strutting down the street with an official Ringer zip-up hoodie. Previously available only to Ringer staffers, we are letting you, our loyal listeners, get first dibs on the goods. Go to theringer.com slash shop to pre-order your merch now. These are limited run items and will not last long. Once they are gone, they are gone. Again, check out theringer.com slash shop to pre-order your official Ringer merchandise today. You can also find the link to the Ringer web store in the podcast description. I call dibs on a hoodie. Is there anything, uh, either when you were a player or or now, where 
this uh, spills over into your daily life. I'm going to share a little brief story with you. My weirdest tendency that I have um, is when we're on the road, I, I, I'm a neat freak. And so um, my house, uh, my closets, everything is always just, you know, uh, pristine. I go on the road, I, I just, for two, whether I'm there a night or two nights, I trash my hotel room. You know, I, I towels everywhere. And then I, right after I eat my pregame meal, right before I go to check out, I clean the entire hotel room. Mm. I don't make the bed, but I put the towels in the tub. I put all the trash away. I make sure everything's lined back up. And then I leave a $5 tip. I think that's pretty odd, though. I don't know why I do that. But is, is there anything else that you do in your life where, like, if you don't do it, it will just eat away at you? Um, I can't step on lines. I don't let my <laughs> kids split poles. Like, we're walking to the city yesterday. I was like, guys, back around. Don't split the pole. <laughs> like, it, you know, we do obsess over small little things because in our in our mind, what happens is is when we win a championship at any level, when we're successful, when we get drafted, you're you're thinking, I just I just need everything to go the way I needed to go and in the direction I need to go in. So we try to figure out how we can have every break go in our favor, even when we're not paying attention to it. Because one thing for us, they had a shot, but sometimes you need the luck to kind of flow in your direction. Mm-hmm. I learned this from my coach, uh, Coach Calhoun in college. He said, our goal is to win a, uh, a championship, but it requires that ball sometimes to bounce in our favor. It's going to require some luck, you know, and, and that's what happens. And that was evident for me in 13 when the ball bounced off the rim, Chris Bosch gets it, and yeah. he, he kicks it out to me. Like, the there, you know, imagine football, how, how the football bounces. Like, we can't control that. Yeah. But what we can do is be prepared when that luck does happen for us. So everything that you're talking about, you're, you're preparing yourself so when the opportunity comes, you're ready. And that ultimately is what luck is. That's a great point. And so the preparation for you to get behind the three-point line on that shot, uh, to catch the ball in rhythm, to, to raise up and shoot over Tony, those are the things you can control. I always tell people on that play – like, if Manu doesn't go for the defensive rebound on Bosch, he wouldn't have fallen. If he just fans out and locates you and lets Bosch... You know what I'm saying? I, I mean, I, it's, I think about that all the time. Like, what if Manu did not go for the defensive rebound? It's, it's hard to say that because, it, you know, we were talking... I was talking to somebody about this, uh, like, a couple weeks ago. If I stay on the three-point line, then at the time, uh, Manu stays right there with me. Yeah. But the fact that I go in, he goes in. Okay. So it's a scramble then because you're like, just get the ball. Yeah. Now, you know, just like I know, the minute that ball goes up and we get the rebound, get back out to the three-point <laughs> line because you yeah. got to— It's the best know. time to shoot a three is yeah, after an offensive rebound. rebound. Yeah, yeah, that's the offensive rebound. So it, it is—it's, for us, the constant movement, you know, is what gets us to where we need to be and, and what allows us to do our job. And if you stand in one place— it's like anything else. Movement is life. You know, if you ride a bicycle and then you stop moving, you're going to fall. So that's been my philosophy around uh, playing the game of basketball is continue to move. You know, you wear your opponent down, um, transition, you'll score. If you're in better shape than the guy that you're guarding, that's four to six points a game without a play being called for you. So imagine 
how you have an effect on the game when you're standing there and people are always worried about what you may do and you haven't even moved. <laughs> so think about what it does for your teammates, how you create space. And then the minute the guy turns his head split second, now you've moved and you're gone. Yeah. We call that the oh shit moment. Yeah. You know, because now that the coach- Ray, I had to guard you two straight playoff series <laughs> <laughs> in, in 2009, yeah. 2010. But, I had a lot of oh shit moments. <laughs> yeah. And, and when you say it, think about the coach has already said it. Yeah. You know, because yeah. we felt the same way with you when you were coming off because right. we're, you know, we're paying attention. Right. But the game is devised to, you know, to follow a certain uh, uh, rhythm from the beginning to the end, a cadence. So at the end, you ask yourself, how did the guy get open? Well, let me break it down to you how this point guard has been breaking us down in the paint the whole time. So now we're trying to help. And, you know, you can't move two places at one time. So when you lean to go in. The, the two-way stunt's impossible. Oh, it's and impossible. coaches always, it, it's interesting what coaches tell you to do. They tell you, they want you to bump, be in position to bump. So now if I'm bumping the roller. But you got to get in to bump. So yeah, it's always inevitably yeah, going to be a two-way stunt. I got to get in to bump. Yeah. Meanwhile, I got top two or three shooters in the league right. that I'm guarding. There's no way I can recover. Right. It's like being in help. If a guy's ice swing at the top of the key, like, yeah, it's great to be on the elbows, but if you're guarding a high-level shooter, to get from his body to the elbow, you have to go in. So at yeah. any point, it's it's almost like you're creeping. It's, but, it's a game you have to play. Yeah, but the one thing that we, the coaches always wanted us to do was start in. <laughs> so imagine, yeah, you know, philosophically, if you tell your player to start in, I'm on the opposing end, and you're telling him to bump. Yeah, I'm telling my point guard he's going to bump. Just throw it. He can't get back out. Right. right. And that, that's where you're at the mercy. Like in San Antonio, Danny Green had hit a record threes in that finals because we were doing that. We were bumping, and I was trying to get back out to him. And really, you know you know that fake run out and try to act like you're going to block the shot because you can't jump up and contest. He's already in the air. If you try to jump up, you're going to foul him. You're going to foul him. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to foul him. Hold that thought. We'll have more with Ray after this quick break. Audiobooks are great for helping you be a better you, whether you want to feel healthier, get motivated, or learn something new. And with an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more, Audible has all the audio content you need to start your year on the right foot. Try books like Fiscal You, You Are a Badass at Making Money. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, one of my favorites. Crypto Assets, the innovative investor's guide to Bitcoin and beyond. Healthy You, the sleep revolution, the power of habit. Very important for me. Successful You, the four-hour work week. And daily self-discipline. Whether it's on your phone, through your car, from a tablet, or at home on an Amazon Echo, you can get through tons of books while doing almost anything. And Audible even lets you switch seamlessly between devices, picking up exactly where you left off. Start a 30-day trial and your first audiobook is free. Go to audible.com slash JJ or text JJ to 500-500. That's audible.com slash JJ or text JJ to 500-500 for a 30-day trial and free first audiobook. You can do it with audiobooks. Everyone knows how important stretching is before an event. So does Mattress Firm, except it's your dollar. Your budget stretches further when you're shopping at America's Neighborhood Mattress Store. It's a true home run and you'll have a ball. 
They're the head coaches when it comes to mattress expertise, but know this, they are more than mattress experts. They have a game plan that helps you transform your mattress into a bed from adjustable bases and sheets to headboards and bedroom decor. They have you literally and figuratively covered up like your favorite cornerback. Go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to see what deals are happening as I read this sentence to you. They even offer you a 120-night sleep trial to ensure perfection and a 120-night low-price guarantee so you know you paid the perfect price. Talk about a one-two punch, a knockout, if you will. Score big with a perfect bed. Head to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to get the play-by-play on how you can monumentally improve your sleep today, tonight, and tomorrow. And now back to Ray Allen. You're arguably the the greatest shooter of all time, one of the greatest shooters of all time, um, all-time leader in three-pointers made. We've discussed this sort of diligence and this obsessiveness about uh, routine and preparation and all that. Um, The other aspect of shooting, of course, is the the mental toughness side. And um, I've never asked you this question before, and I I couldn't really find any any good stuff on on, on the Internet. But what, what was your mindset going through a shooting slump? You know, because it happens to everybody. Yeah, it, it happens to everybody. Um, and you know, the the position that you're in is di- different based on the team you play on. If you're going to get more touches, um, because I look at statistics more than I look at guys shooting the ball. Like if you scored thirty, how many shots did you get? Um, I had a situation in uh, in Seattle where the reporters say, "Wow, you uh, you just you, you couldn't hit it in the ocean today." I said, "No, I actually shot the ball well. It just didn't go in." You know, so you have to. As a shooter, you have to fr- reframe the narrative because you, you start to obsess over it that the ball's not going through the hoop. But you have to know that you, you pay attention to your misses. One thing they always say is the ball bounces on the rim. When you see your misses and it's hitting around, you know, the paint that you're you're close. You know, you might need to shoot a couple free throws and work on your release. If the ball's hitting off the rim and it's going wild, then you're probably your lift isn't good enough. So you look at that, you study it understand it and then when you go forward like you just you you sometimes what I would do is I would just get in the gym and play one on none dribble make every move post up and go to the basket and shoot my left shoot my right just see the ball go in you know what you would do if you were a kid because that love for the game is still inside you but sometimes you forget it because you're layered and layered with game after game of video and you know this guy gave me 30 and and you know we're trying to make the playoffs and you get just got all these crazy thoughts in your head but sometimes you lose sight of yourself and how you love this game and you got to watch the highlight of yourself getting dunked on last night i got dunked on no you're right though you're you're constantly it's not just the game anymore it's Mm -hmm. you're constantly navigating uh locker room relations uh expectations from fans from coaches uh from yourself um, it's it's always a point I have to make at some point, sometimes multiple times throughout a season, where I have to say, okay, what what do I need to get back to the essence of why you I'm check doing in with this. yourself? Why am I doing this? Right, and it it always comes back, of course, to uh, something that we all fell in love with as a as a kid, and that's just seeing the ball go through the hoop. <laughs> you know, the easiest thing that I could think of with you that I would that I would suggest is you go back to. Uh, the Cameron K- Crazies. Like, just think about where you were. <laughs> yeah. That mindset, the youthfulness, uh, just the atmosphere that you played in front of every single every single home game. If you can take yourself back to that, 
And you, because when you go out into the arena on a daily basis, you just kind of almost go through the motions. You go right to your spot where you get ready to warm up and, you know, you look at the clock and you start to count down and you, you, you just kind of lose a little bit of that, that luster for the game. But you have to remember Cameron crazy, you know, you know, my energy, like, you know, somebody's out here, I'm ready to just destroy everybody. And thing is, it doesn't mean you're about to score 30. It's just your energy and the way you approach yeah. the game. Because what I what I see now, and I saw I was at the NBA store yesterday, and I had people come in there to buy a book and get a signature. I had people come in from New Zealand, and obviously they were in New York doing yeah. you know whatever. But they just came in, and these people knew NBA basketball yeah. were fans, and you know people were like talking about my career that were from other countries. You don't realize, like, the impact that you're having on the generation now with people that are watching you, especially playing in Philadelphia. You're growing up kids. And so when we lose it sometimes, we just have to always be reminded just by simply just putting on, popping in the highlight tape and just seeing, you know, who I was to start off because this is still who you are. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think I've told you this before, but I, I wanted to be Ray Allen. Like, that, that was my goal in my career was to be a poor man's Ray Allen. Um, you know, Reggie Miller was another guy, um, in a, in an indirect way, even though, again, we didn't play together, you know, Richard Lewis became a pros pro because of yeah. you. And I became a pros pro because of Richard. Um, I remember right after he signed his, um, you know, $120 million deal or whatever, you know, he, that whole preseason, he was like the first guy in the gym, the last guy to leave. I'm thinking like my experience and my idea about a guy who signs a deal like that is he's just going to mail it in. He's come in late. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah he's gonna... And he's going to big time it. And he was just for the, the the four years I played with Richard, he was just such a pro and had such an impact on, on me and my approach to the game. And, he's a good and it was man because too. of you. And he's a great man who, so I, I mentioned you and, 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 uh, and Reggie, but for you, who were the guys, the shooters, the scorers, the players that you, that you saw growing up that you either tried to emulate or you just loved watching play? Obviously, I'm sure MJ is on that list. But. Yeah, MJ is is certainly uh, ground zero for me. Uh, I had all his posters on my wall from the Wheaties box. Uh, really, um, you know, my parents played. You know, and I grew up in a military base, so I was around these grown men that I played against every single day. So that was really all I see. Uh, that's why I try to, like, be in front of kids as much as I can so they can understand that there's nothing complicated to me. We're very simple individuals that you can grow up and be like. You know, sometimes it just requires a touch. You know, you just yeah. need to be connected. That's why the the charitable endeavors of the NBA and us getting out of the community are so important. Um, Milwaukee was such a you know, impactful place on me because my first year I had real vets on my team like Elliot Perry, Michael Curry, and Johnny Newman. You know, you know, they were journey journeysmen, but we started shooting every single day, me, Mike, and, and Elliot. We would shoot as a threesome every single day and we had a routine and these guys were, you know, they would take the extra fruit from the locker rooms. They'd be like, man, we don't don't mess with the mini bar. We don't need that mini bar. Mini bar is too expensive. So I was like, all right, cool, bet. You know, <laughs> just get some fruit because I'm not going to spend money on a mini bar. Yeah. Johnny Newman, every day, suit and tie, or nice overcoat. No matter where we played, he was always, like, top to bottom. 
And I picked up on that, and I was like, you know what? I respect that. You know, this man, you know, some games he didn't play, but he came in and he played the part every single day. So I had, I was watching how people looked at him, how they talked about how he dressed. So I was like, man, I'm trying to, you know, move through the world like he is. And uh, so that was my jump off from the beginning. You know, people who were frugal, they didn't use the NBA lifestyle as a means to just sign contracts and just kind of screw it off and do whatever. Now, they, I give them so much credit, you know, because we pay attention to the stuff and to the people who have done it and who've lasted, you know, and they're the names that people a lot of times don't know. Do you think that the NBA, uh, specifically like in the last like eight years, since the lockout really, since since the ta- tax implications, uh, you know, going from a dollar for dollar to, to a more punitive luxury tax, there's a lot more veterans that are getting squeezed out. Teams would rather take a, a flyer on younger players. Do you think that the NBA is is devoid of, of, of a lot of, Sort of professionals, because like for me, I mean, one of the reasons I got the salary I got is because not just for being a player, but being a professional. And there's still value in that. It it, it just seems like maybe there's not as as much of it. We knew what was going to happen, you know, when the deal was struck because it it gave um, it gave owners, you know, more more value in signing younger players. Obviously, you don't want to be you know, in a, uh, a tax situation, you know, against your salary cap. Um, that's the thing. Like, when you look down and— you just, I just feel like I, I'm, they're just getting so young. They're just so young. Well, you—, you, you <laughs> my last couple of years, the conversation that you have in locker rooms is like, yeah. you know, it's crazy. Um, you you want to get people to talk about things that are going to grow them and mature them. And get them to think about the game from a greater perspective because it makes us a better team. Yeah, they certainly are getting so young. You know that you know everybody's one and done typically for the most part, and the teams take the bait because they feel like they don't want to miss out on anybody. Um, so th- there's always a self correction every time bargaining comes back up. It's always like, well, you know, they're, then they're gonna the owners are gonna be complaining about. You know, we, we can't keep a, any veteran presences on our bench because of this happening, you know. So it's going to come back up again, and you're gonna, it's going to go back in another direction where you're going to keep more players around and pay them, you know, nice salaries. Because remember, when I first came in, we used to always say uh, these guys don't, they haven't earned it or they haven't done anything in their careers. Because before I came in, you know, the, it was before the, 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 the cap where it was a uh, fixed salaries in the first round, these guys were getting 60 and $70 million contracts early as rookies. Yeah. So then it flipped, it switched, you know, to, to a scale. And so they, they correct themselves. It's almost like they, they negotiate against themselves uh, and make it seem like it's our fault uh, every single time. But, you know, these are issues that, you know, you now being an elder statesman in the league, you, you certainly have to bring up with the players union to make yeah. sure that they understand that we, we got to keep our, our older players around because that is what teaches the new generation kind of the, the, the rhythm of how this league should go. Um, just, you know, how to be uh, uh, a professional because when you lose that professionalism, what do you have? 
there's there's real value I think in in wisdom and there's there's value in in having elders around and as you as you and I both know um, a lot of coaches do have wisdom but to hear that voice over and over again can sometimes feel redundant and so to have a player say something in a, in a locker room on a bus at halftime of a game it carries sometimes more weight uh, or as much weight as 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 any coach before you go, I, I have to ask you about Hega game because yeah, I've never yeah. talked to you about this before. Mm-hmm. Um, but another reason I wanted to be Ray Allen was because of Jesus Shuttlesworth. Yeah, <laughs> um, which are a lot great. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, so so how how did this all come about? So I, I saw something. Spike Lee said, you know, he talked to a couple other guys in the NBA. He really wanted to get a player, someone who knew how to play, to make the the, the, the basketball action as realistic as possible. Um, you were willing to like come in for an audition, but had you ever acted before? Never. I was, we didn't make the playoffs that year. Uh, that was my rookie year. And uh, it was April. We played in the, uh, here in the garden and uh, Spike was like, you know, I, I got this role. I'd like you to audition for a part. And, you know, I, I can give you a role in the movie, even if you don't get the main part. And he, he auditioned everybody, Iverson. Uh, he asked so many guys, and so many guys said, well, give me the part, and I'll come in. He goes, no, I want to see if you can do this part. I want to see you read lines with other people because I'm just, you know, this is a serious uh, a serious movie. So I went in. You know, I was standing in Connecticut. I live, you know, literally two hours from the city. And I would drive up, and I would, you know, recite these lines. And all these actresses that I knew from TV, I was having love scenes with them, and I was, like, (laughs) nervous, and it was crazy. I was like, I know I'm just over here just killing time. Like, I don't know what this is all about. No way I'm doing a movie. And then he kept asking me back. And, you know, the third time I came back, the fourth time I came back, I I interviewed with Denzel. He was in the room. I walked in. He was sitting there, and we went over some lines, and I was like— I said, yeah, I, I could really do this, you know, because it, it it seemed easy with him. You know, he's like a great point guard. Like, sure. you, you, they put the ball right where you need it, and yeah. all you had to do is shoot. And they're like, wow, this is this is great. So, so it wasn't intimidating to read with Denzel that first few times. At first, it was. Yeah, because I knew I was outside of you know, the realm of what I was capable of doing or what I've known to do. But the one thing that I knew is that I'm coachable. You know, I, I can step in any situation and you tell me exactly what it is that you want from me, and I can do that. You know, being making it at this level, is, it, it proves to all of us that we can do anything that we set our minds on. We just have to keep an empty cup and let somebody pour into it what they need to pour into it. And then, like Bruce Lee said, we shape whatever you pour into that glass. Um, I'm sure I screwed that his Bruce Lee quote up, but... Uh, um, <laughs> I got when, when you when you like finish the movie up. The movie's fantastic. I love the movie. And yeah, thank you. Somebody said to me the other day that you can make an argument if that movie came out now, it would it would probably be nominated for Best Picture Oscar. Um, it, it it is a phenomenal movie. But when the movie came out, or as it's getting ready to come out, how um, nervous or, or sensitive were you to sort of the reaction to your acting skills? Like it's not what you did, so I would assume you were. You had that in the back of your mind. but Well, the movie certainly today, you know, would resonate so much more now because they're, especially with the investigation going on in the NCAA like they are. Um, But as a kid, you know, 22 years old, I I actually, I I actually didn't think nobody watched. You know, it was like, 
there was this movie I'm doing and, you know, I was doing like a couple appearances here and there, like doing interviews and I was out in L.A. doing some interviews. And then for the most part, I was in Connecticut over the summertime just chilling. Like I wasn't doing anything. It was no hype around it. Like one time I went to a movie theater and sat in the back and just watched it. I didn't actually like watching it because I was I hated seeing myself on screen. But yeah, it didn't seem there was no nothing around. And then the season started that year. And then it was like I went back in and everybody was talking about it. We had a premiere in Milwaukee. And that was it. Like I would go in a couple of arenas, they'd play He Got Game yeah. and we'd run out on the floor. And it just seemed like it was at the time it was so so under, you know, the 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 radar. And then it just caught cult hero status. Yes, it's you a know? cult classic. Yeah. I guess part of it too, I guess if an NBA player had a role like that alongside a star like Denzel with a director like Spike Lee in 2018 with social media. With social media. It would be a little bit different. So yeah, I understand yeah, what you're saying. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Certainly would be. You did one more movie, Harvard Man. Why why did you stop acting after that? Because after that, I was playing playoff basketball. Yeah. Um, we were going to June full tilt. So, you know, Hollywood is funny because you, you, they want you to, and I've got offered to do a lot of things, but they're like, it's middle of January. Like, hey, we need you for two months to shoot. <laughs> We'd love to have you in this role. And I was like, yeah. hey, you understand that I have a contract to play in the NBA. Because some of these people who were asking for me, didn't realize that I really played in the NBA. <laughs> Nobody on the set that he got game knew I was an NBA player. They, they really they were That's walked, not true. Yeah. That's not true. That's you, not true. You know true. how many times, you know, people because you know these people working on movie sets all day long. They would walk up to me. I had people walk up to me and go, man, that's cool that you can do that. Where'd you learn that? <laughs> No, that's awesome. Like, you, did you go to college and play ball? I was like, yeah, I actually did. And I didn't ever tell them any different. I just wanted to, it was a compliment because they really thought I was an actor. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, Ray, I, I got to wrap up. Thank you so much for the time. My pleasure, uh, my pleasure, JJ. Pleasure talking with you, man. Always. All right. That's it for today's show. Before we go, make sure to subscribe to One Shining Podcast with Titus and Tate. They've been the ringer source for in-depth March Madness coverage, and we'll be breaking down everything you need to know about the Final Four and the championship game. Look for that on theringer.com slash podcast, and no one hold it against Tate that he's a North Carolina fan. As always, if you have suggestions about this show, you can reach out to me on Twitter at JJ Reddick. Make sure to check out The Ringer's official merch store, which is now open. You can find a link in the description of this podcast. We'll be back next week with another great NBA guest. Until then, if you enjoyed the show, make sure to give us a rating and review over at Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week.